podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Just a quick note right off the top here, guys. This episode was recorded, edited, and scheduled before the news came out late last night that Les Miles and the University of Kansas decided to part ways mutually, according to the press release. Not sure that I actually believe that. I mean, it was pretty clear he was going to be out at some point, but just avoids any kind of legal fight any kind of worrying about fine with cause and all of that. We didn't really talk too much about less because I think we all agreed it was a foregone conclusion. Um, Fetch and I did. So I think the rest of the discussion in the episode remains intact, but just wanted to make that quick note there. We weren't ignoring it. We just recorded before it actually dropped. We'll talk more about that, more about the upcoming coaching search in the next episode um, or sometime shortly after that, wherever it makes the most sense. And welcome back to the Rock Chalk Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Mitz. Tonight, we are recapping the last week for the Kansas Jayhawks, where they played UTEP. Uh, the Big 12 awards came out, the Big 12 conference tournament, uh, that bracket got set. And then, of course, there was some uh, interesting news to come out this week that uh, we'll, we'll have to talk about and see how that's going to affect Kansas football moving forward. So to help me do all of that, I have returning again to the podcast, as he usually does about this time every week, Steve Fetch, our basketball editor over at Rock Chalk Talk. Fetch, how are you doing tonight? Hey, good. How are you doing? Doing pretty good. All right. So let, let's go ahead and start with probably the least eventful that honestly at first felt like it was going to be the most eventful thing, the fact that Kansas almost got upset by UTEP at home in their season finale at home. Um, big, look, any, anything big picture wise that you took out of this game? You know, well, first of all, I, I kind of forgot the game happened. You know, it seems like it was forever ago, even though it was only, you know, four or five days ago. But um, I think for me, the big thing is, okay, yeah, it's UTEP. Yeah, they're ranked, you know, right around kind of where TCU is in terms of Ken Palm. So they're certainly not a, a good team by any means. But the fact that they were down by double digits in the second half and, and never gave up and, and kind of, you know, slowly but surely crawled their way back into the game and stuff. Um, that never would have happened two months ago. You know, I'm thinking about like the Texas game when, um, you know, Texas made a, a couple of threes by guys who, you know, aren't great shooters and, and were pretty heavily guarded and stuff. And uh, it seemed like Kansas just kind of disappeared. And, you know, same as the Tennessee game. I mean, Kansas was missing a bunch of open shots. Tennessee was making guarded shots, that sort of thing. Obviously those two teams are, much better than UTEP, but I think the the fact remains that, you know, Kansas um, with this kind of newfound defensive identity of theirs said that they're, you know, they're never out of the game as long as they can defend like they have been. And they turned up that defense in the second half and and made just enough shots and and went on just enough of a run to win. So um, obviously the performance in and of itself is is not good enough and and certainly not good enough to uh, make the type of run that we hope they're capable of making. But I think that that, one little thing was uh, a bit of good news and, and maybe an otherwise, uh, like you said, could have been pretty eventful night. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's one of those things you, it's, it's hard to really say, um, you know, that, that this was anything. Well, I take it back when this was originally scheduled, UTEP was supposed to be kind of that, you know, shake the rust off, make sure that you don't have a really bad performance in the big 12 tournament and into the NCAA tournament because you had a layoff for two weeks. And I think what we found out is that, you know, Kansas probably took this one a little bit lightly. Um, you know, it seemed like they were really kind of just focusing on getting out there and doing just that, shaking off the rest. Did not think that UTEP was going to be able to challenge them. And what happened is what seems to happen a lot to this Kansas team is that 
UTEP seemed to be ready. They were ready to punch them in the mouth, and Kansas was not prepared for it and didn't react well to it at first. Um, now, granted, like if this is a better team than what happened at the end of the, the game, they may not have been able to stay close enough to be able to come back at the end of that game. But I think what you saw was, you know, they ha- were having a very bad night. They just weren't playing well at all for whatever reason. And then the switch flipped and Marcus Garrett took over defensively. And that really spurred the rest of the team to pick up their defense, to really start forcing opportunities, to really start forcing turnovers. And UTEP just wasn't talented enough to be able to, you know, hold off the storm defensively once Kansas really locked in and did what they needed to do. Yes, it it is a bad look to be down 15 at one point in the second half to UTEP. Um, it's obviously a bad look, you know, for them to struggle that much with a team that they had no business struggling with. But you also got to think this was a game that was added on short notice that UTEP, like this is their big opportunity. They're not going to the NCAA tournament this year, um, you know, barring a miraculous run through their conference tournament, which actually I think they've already lost in their conference tournament by the time that we're recording this. So, um, uh, or if not, like, or no, I'm, I'm sorry, their, their conference tournament actually starts tonight. Um, so it's one of those things like, you know, there is no expectation for the team to make the NCAA tournament. This was their quote unquote NCAA tournament game. You know, the one where you get to play a high major team, hope for an, an upset that was going to allow you to have that big story to tell your grandkids. Um, you know, this was their opportunity. They almost did it in Allen Fieldhouse and Kansas was able to kind of shake off that upset bid. The hope is that they, you know, learn from this. They don't get themselves set up in that bad situation in the future. Um, and they're able to avoid an early round upset in the in the NCAA tournament because they've already gone through something like that. Um, you know, we've seen this time and time again where the higher rated teams, you know, have that one scare in the, in the NCAA tournament and then it spurs them through to a late, late round run there. And so ho- hopefully Kansas just got that out of the way, not even in the NCAA tournament at all. And they don't have to worry about that. We'll see how all that kind of works out. But I, I agree. I don't think there's like some overarching huge concern that you have for this team other than what was always been there was that if, you know, Kansas gets off to a slow start, they may not have the offensive firepower to come all the way back. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think, you know, there's obviously going to be with this team in their inability to score for long stretches. I mean, there's definitely going to be times where they're going to need to come back or, or maybe, you know, times where they'll have a lead and the other team will be coming back and they're going to kind of need to, uh, hold their nerve. So obviously they'll be playing probably a better team than, than UTEP at the NCAA tournament when this happens, but hopefully that will give them kind of a, uh, uh, you know, a reminder that they can do it and, and hopefully, you know, help spur them on in March when it really counts. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's also one of these things like Bryson Williams, uh, Bryson Williams for UTEP and Sully boom. I don't know how you actually say his last name, but that's what I'm going to go with. Um, they had phenomenal games, uh, you know, 23 points and 16 points respectively. Um, you know, they really kind of seemed to get whatever they wanted. They were shooting, they were really hot. Uh, I'm sorry, UTEP as a team was making very timely threes. I don't know that they were necessarily hot from three, finishing eight to 26, but but they were making very timely threes, which made it very difficult, I think, for Kansas to get any kind of momentum in this one. And the fact they were to fight through it, I think, was was definitely a big plus for them. Um, you know, I, I agree with you. I think it's going to be a little easier for them to to really be able to to use this as an opportunity, something that they can harken back to that they really were able to kind of lock down with. So. All right. Um, anything else you want to actually take from this game, or are you just glad that they got out of there with the win and we don't have to talk about it anymore? Yeah, I would frankly rather never talk about this game ever again, unless it's, you know, Kansas goes on a, a Danny and the Miracles type run and, and this comeback is the, you know, spurring them onto it. But other than that, I've, I've had enough of, of UTEP, I think, for one year. Yeah, yeah. The only thing I will say was I was glad that it wasn't just Garrett 
that really took this game over. McCormick really started to exert himself inside. And you just got to hope that he's going to keep that up against the Big 12 teams that are coming up and then whoever they face in the NCAA tournament. But all right, so let's go ahead and jump to because there wasn't a lot of game action. I don't really want to talk about what other teams did in their games um, to kind of end the season because it just, I mean, I don't think it really fits with what we're doing here. So let's instead jump to the Big 12 awards. Um, they actually came out this afternoon from, from when we're recording. Um, you know, I thought for the most part they did a fairly good job, but was there anything that jumped out to you as super surprising or just absolutely ridiculous? Well, I think, you know, I don't know about absolutely ridiculous, I guess, but I, I would have given uh, Jared Butler player of the year over Cade Cunningham. I mean, if you go look at all the, like, advanced stats, you know, you go to, to Torvik and, and kind of go to the Big 12 players and just kind of sort, and uh, Jared Butler's at the top of, you know, all the important ones, so. Uh, that plus the fact that Baylor was the best team and, and won the league, I think I would give it to him uh, for sure. I think uh, based on what you said on Twitter, though, it sounds like you have a, a different uh, a different take. Yeah, I mean, this is the kind of the whole, you know, give it to the best player on the best team kind of syndrome, where I honestly think that if you look at individually what they did and, and how they affected the games, I think that Cade Cunningham had a much bigger impact on his Oklahoma State team than Jared Butler had on his Baylor team. And part of that might just be that, you know, Butler is surrounded by a whole lot more talent and he's in a much better system, you know, and like everything was working for the most part for Baylor all year long without any hiccups. Um, But like kind of the red flags for me in terms of giving Butler the, you know, runaway big 12 player of the year was the fact that he got completely shut down by Marcus Garrett in that last game against Kansas. And you can say COVID all you want, but it's not like, you know, Cade Cunningham was absolutely, um, you know, completely healthy all year long played every single game or anything like that. Like both teams had issues with either injuries or, you know, getting shut down for different things. So, you know, it, I, I mean, I just, I don't remember an instance where Cade Cunningham got completely shut out, got completely shut down by anybody like Jared Butler did. And Jared Butler has a lot of advantages being in that Baylor system that really is tailored to, to highlighting exactly what he does. Whereas Cade Cunningham in a lot of cases had to go find what he did and kind of exert his will and push that Oklahoma state team even further. So, I mean, I, yes, I mean, I, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have complained too much if Butler had gotten it because of kind of that whole best player on the best team kind of principle. Um, but I think if you're evaluating the best player, the guy who played the best, who lifted his team up the most, I would have to give it to Cade Cunningham. I just think he had the bigger impact on his team compared to what everyone else did. Yeah, I guess, you know, my, my kind of comeback to that would be, you know, then you're, you're kind of punal, uh, geez, I was trying to say punishing and penalizing at the same time you're kind of penalizing uh, Jared Butler for playing with better players, you know, because yeah, obviously if you take Cade Cunningham off Oklahoma state, they're going to be worse because they have worse players than the rest of uh, uh, than the rest of the guys on Baylor. So I just think Butler was, was the best player. So I would give it to him. Um, I think the other one, maybe, um, you know, maybe uh, coach of the year. I think it's kind of weird to give it to Scott drew for, and maybe that's more just because of all the games that, that Baylor lost and kind of who they, uh, got to duck, so to speak. Um, maybe I would have given it to, to Mike Boynton with everything that he did with Oklahoma State because I actually I didn't think they were going to be that good. And, you know, they've got the NCAA appeal going on and stuff like that. So um, I think that's probably who I would have uh, who I would have given it to. Um, maybe Bill Self. I mean, I, I didn't think Kansas was going to be very good. That might just be, you know, me trying to give it to him because of um, my perceptions uh, in the preseason about this Kansas team versus what other people's perceptions uh, in the preseason about the Kansas team were, but that was another one that kind of stood out to me. And then I'm sure, you know, we can 
Um, yeah, I'll let you talk about that, but just I'm sure the one that we'll both agree uh, about is, you know, Marcus Garrett should have been uh, Defensive Player of the Year for sure. For yeah, yeah. So so first, real quick on the Coach of the Year. Actually, prior to this last week of Big 12 play, I actually was going to give it to Bob Huggins. Like, I thought he had done an absolutely phenomenal job with what they had, losing Oscar Sheebway in the middle of the year, like kind of just dealing with everything going around there. And at the time, they were, you know, fair, fairly solidly in second place in the Big 12. Um, I thought they did a phenomenal job. I, I agree with you that the the Scott Drew, you know, doesn't really make a lot of sense to me because they were a really good team last year that faltered down the stretch. Obviously, they were a really good team this year, but they got every single person back from that last year, from you know, from that team last year. And so, like, the expectation coming into the year was they were going to be one of the best two teams in the nation. And oh, hey, guess what? They were one of the two best teams in the nation. They didn't, you know, outperform anything. They didn't really do, you know, I, I should say Scott Drew's coaching performance. I don't think jumped out to me partly because they were expected to be this good. And yes, like I agree that you should give some credit to someone who is able to meet expectations, able to keep their team at a high level because it's difficult to do that over the course of an entire season. But I also think like, you know, any, any other year, especially when it's Bill Self who has the best team in the big 12, like any other year, it goes to the team that, that drastically outperformed the expectations and Oklahoma state and, and under Mike Boynton was not expected to really do much this year at all. There was questions about whether they would be able to qualify for the NCAA tournament, you know, even if they were eligible. Um, I, I don't think there's any questions at all. Like they are solidly in the field. I think last I saw, they actually were like slotted to get like a four or a five seed in, in, in the NCAA tournament and with what they had. And you've got to think also about some of the big wins that they got without Cade Cunningham, without Isaac likely like their two best players. And they were still able to get some big wins, including that last win against West Virginia. I just think that he did a phenomenal job this year, pulling them together, going through all of that adversity, both on and off the court. I mean, I thought his his job was absolutely phenomenal. I do agree that, that Bill Self should have gotten some sort of consideration just given kind of everything that happened to the team this year. But I also kind of feel like no one's going to, you know, cry at all for Bill Self not getting the serious consideration because of how good he usually is. And, you know, fair or not, the expectation is he's going to have his team at one of the, you know, at like one or two in the Big 12 every single year. Um, so I, it's it's a little unfair to guys, you know, and I've said this before, guys who are expected to win at a very high clip or to have a really, really good team, they don't typically get these types of awards because they're just meeting the expectations instead of exceeding them. But I honestly thought that Mike Boynton was going to be the runaway pick for Big 12 Coach of the Year this year, um, which this tells me either that, you know, people already kind of had their their picks in before this last week, and before, especially before that last game on Saturday, um, or they just really wanted to give it to Scott Drew because of the job that he did last year. Um, and was able to kind of continue it into this year. So um, I, I do agree with you, though, kind of jumping over to, to Defensive Player of the Year. And I, I got a little bit of a Twitter spat with someone um, kind of talking about this. And I'm like, David Mitchell, I thought, was, is a really good defender. Like, in, in most instances, I would probably say that I had no problem with him, you know, in general, winning a, a you know, play, Defensive Player of the Year award. Um, the other thing to kind of think about, too, though, is him and then Mark Vidal, like, him, Mark Vidal, and Marcus Garrett, I thought, were the three best defenders in the Big 12 this year. Um, but the thing you have to realize is that Mark Vidal and Davian Mitchell have a system that is set up to highlight and only ask them to do the things that they are really, really good at. Whereas in this Kansas system, Marcus Garrett is the guy who is asked to basically do everything and do anything on any particular night. And he performs all of it really well. The fact that he completely shut down Jared Butler in that game, I think, gives him a big boost. And, and you know... I, I will admit that I'm probably a little bit biased here, but if you look at what Marcus Garrett is asked to do and how well he is able to do pretty much anything that you ask of him defensively, like I'm, I'm struggling to think of 
more than one time where the guy that Marcus Garrett was on had a big night throughout the entire season. Whereas if you look at Davian Mitchell um, or you look at Mark Vidal, like they had times where they were kind of taken advantage of, but they also weren't playing a phenomenal player the entire night and shutting him down in any of their particular games, you know, and they have a lot of help. I think that's, this is one of those cases again, where you can, you can talk about whether you're penalizing a guy for having other good guys on his team. But when you're trying to give an award like this for someone who has performed the best, who is the most talented in position, like opportunity to show versatility and show the ability to do all these different things. It may not be fair that you don't necessarily get those opportunities, but a guy who gets the opportunities and does it, I think should always be given the award over a guy who can do some things, but didn't get the opportunity to show everything that they can do. It's, you know, you may not say that it's fair, but I would much rather give it to a guy that's actually shown that ability than a guy who we think might have that ability and just didn't get the opportunity to show it. Yeah. Well, and and I'll add this too. I mean, obviously it's not a, uh, uh, not a team award, but like if Baylor had all these good defenders, uh, I think they would have had a better defense than Kansas did in this big 12 season. And they didn't. So, uh, I mean, I, I think to me that that just, uh, further illustrates why, you know, Garrett should have won the award. And uh, frankly, um, you know, one other uh, may, maybe miss, I guess, is, you know, I, I think David McCormick probably did enough to be a, a first team all big 12 guy. I think it was, uh, was it uh, Mitchell who, who got on the first team uh, instead of him? So it was, it was Culver, Cade, Butler, Reeves, and Mitchell, right? Correct. Yeah. I mean, I, okay. I don't know that I necessarily have too much of a, like, I, I honestly think that that first team, there was probably seven guys for five spots. And, and I think that McCormick was one of them. I also think that just because of how good defensively he was, you could make an argument for a guy like Marcus Garrett getting on the first team, um, depending on how, like, what you actually want on your team and how you want to construct that team. So, like, I don't know that I'm necessarily too upset about McCormick not getting on there. I, I do agree, though. There was definitely room for him there. And if like if if Davian Mitchell had been bumped off of there to put a guy like McCormick on there, I wouldn't have been upset at all. I think it would have been perfectly justified. But I also can't really get too upset about Mitchell being on there because he was absolutely phenomenal. And you know, as much as we talk about, you know, as, as much as we were just talking about that defensively, like he was he was also very good offensively. And I think that he did enough overall to put himself, especially beginning of the year. And I mean, I guess it also really kind of comes down to that. Is, are you looking at just Big 12 play or are you looking at the entire season? If you're looking at just Big 12 play, then it is, you know, it is kind of, I think, inexcusable to not put McCormick on there. Um, I'm sorry. It's, yeah, it's, uh, if, if you're looking at the entire season, though, I do think that Mitchell probably edges him out for that, for that team there. Yeah, but I mean, it's a, I mean, it's a Big 12 ward. I don't no, think no. they'd look at that. I agree, season, right? but... I, I honestly, I don't know. I like, I don't even know what the actual technical criteria is for it. Um, like, I don't think there's any directions that say you should only look at big 12 conference play. Uh, like it would make sense potentially to only look at that. And I do know, especially in cases where guys have markedly different big 12 seasons than overall seasons that sometimes that can work to their advantage. I just think that Mitchell was probably consistent enough in both. And the fact that, you know, McCormick was probably slightly better in Big 12 play, but not consistent throughout the entire season, that it probably just allowed enough people to to give Mitchell the nod over McCormick that he ended up not making the first team. I, I Like I said, I, I think you can argue either way. Um, personally, obviously, being Kansas fans, I think that we, we think McCormick should have gotten it. Um, but I can also kind of see the argument uh, as to why he wouldn't have gotten a first team, um, even if we don't actually think that that's how it should have gone. 
I think, uh, and I'm kind of trying to pull it up as we're talking here, and it's not going great, but I think he was second in the Big 12 in, in box plus minus, which obviously is a, you know, very, like, all-encompassing, you know, advanced stat, and, and does, um, and does have, uh, um, a little bit of a big man bias, so you got to factor that in too. But um, he was, you know, legitimately very good. And I, I said this on Twitter a little bit, and I guess I haven't double checked, but I probably should. But if you take a look at his uh, Big 12 numbers versus uh, the Thomas Robinson National Player of the Year uh, numbers, they're not like terribly far off. So, I mean, he's Correct. been uh, legitimately very good in Big 12 play. Um, obviously, you know, probably a little bit. Um, uh, I don't know if fluky is the right word, but, you know, he's taken a lot of, you know, farther away shots and stuff, so that can kind of come and go. So who knows, maybe he's due for a, a bad game here and there with these uh, with these turnaround jumpers and stuff like that. But as far as what he's done, I mean, he's been a, uh, an excellent player in Big 12 play and I think, you know, deserve to be rewarded with a, uh, a spot on that first team. Yeah, like I said, I mean, like, I, I don't know that I'm – I'm not like super upset about it. I do agree that he probably should have been on there, but it's also probably not one of the most, you know, big th- or problems that I have with the way that they did the awards. So I I'd probably put it somewhere in the middle there. All right. And any other thoughts about the awards, anything else you want to talk about before we uh, jump over to the big 12 tournament coming up? Uh, nope. I think we can, we can move on. All right. Sounds good. So we're going to go ahead and do that, but, but first I need to throw it to a quick break. We'll be right back on the rock chalk podcast. If you love the Big 12, then we have the show for you. The 10-12, the podcast that covers all 10 teams in the Big 12 Conference. Forget the SEC, forget the Big 10, and forget national podcasts that only talk about Oklahoma and Texas. We talk about the Sooners and the Longhorns. We also talk about the Cyclones, the Cowboys, the Wildcats, the Mountaineers, the Jayhawks, the Red Raiders, the Horn Frogs, and the Bears. We love the whole Big 12, and we are available everywhere that podcasts are found. So go and find the 1012 Podcast and subscribe today. And we're back. All right, so Big 12 Tournament starts this week. Kansas doesn't get to play in the first round, which is good because, you know, they are the the number two seed in the tournament. So um, play will start on Wednesday with Oklahoma versus Iowa State and then Kansas State versus TCU. Um Anything, anything worth talking about? You think from those games? I, I actually, I'm on record of thinking that Iowa State is actually finally going to get a Big 12 win and upset Oklahoma in this particular game. But I don't know if that actually is worth talking about or or debating about or anything like that. So, um, actually, you know what? Let's do it this way. Are there any games that jump out to you? Either, either games that are currently scheduled or that could potentially be scheduled in those first couple days um, that that jump out to you as ones that are particularly um, good to watch or, or ones that you don't want to miss just as a general big 12 fan. Well, I think, I think the game of the first round is probably that Texas, Texas tech matchup where Kansas will, you know, hopefully play the winner of that game in the uh, semis. Um, you know, that's, that seems to me the, the teams that are kind of closest together probably will give you the best game. And I think either, uh, either team winning would provide Kansas with the opportunity to, you know, really improve their resume. So um, they're definitely going to have a chance if, if they win two games here, I think, to to lock up a number three seed. And, um, you know, I, I think they have a chance uh, if they make the Big 12 title game. I don't even think they necessarily have to win the Big 12 title, to be honest with you, uh, to, to nab a two seed. Obviously, if, if they do win it, they'll have a much better chance. But um, I think there's an outside chance that they could sneak into a two seed, uh, depending on what happens elsewhere, uh, even by just making it Saturday night. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, it's it's. I, I do agree with you that Kansas, like they win the Big Twelve tournament. I think that it's especially if there's a a bunch of chaos elsewhere, um, you know, or somebody like runs to a, a win in the Big Ten tournament that nobody's expecting. Like Kansas has an opportunity to jump up to a number two. I also though think that there's a lot of roadblocks kind of ahead of them, and, and you know. Fair or not, I do think that a lot of people are looking at this Kansas team and it's not as good as they're expecting, and that's going to work against them, um, which is which is really weird to say, especially in this environment and you know kind of what they're talking about because normally it's supposed to be like no one really cares about the about the blind resume or anything like that. But I, I don't know if this is you know bracketologists that for whatever reason are just underweighting what Kansas is doing, um, or if this is actually the way that the the committee is actually going to see it, but. Um, I, I honestly am surprised that Kansas is not already kind of slotted in as a potential number two seed at this point. Like I, I'm looking at the other people that are on like the two and the three, and I'm having a hard time picking many of them actually being ahead of Kansas at this point, or at least Kansas not like right there with them. And it seems like it's pretty much a foregone conclusion from a lot of people that Kansas is like going to top out at a three. I'm not saying that I think they're going to get to the two. It's, I mean, especially if they don't actually win the big 12 tournament, but I'm finding it weird that there's a lot of, there's a lot more people that seem to think that Kansas is a four than they're one of the better threes. Yeah. So, you know, you just look at like, obviously, I mean, I go to, to bracket matrix cause I'm not uh, a bracketologist person at all. Um, but I mean, you go, okay. Ohio state is, you know, 18 and eight, 12 and eight in the big, uh, big 10, big 10, certainly, you know, a better conference than the big 12 this year. I, I don't really have any problem with that, but you know, they've lost four games in a row. What if they, uh, you know, what if they go out and, and, uh, you know, lose early in the big 10 tournament? Um, I mean, I, I certainly would think that they could maybe drop a little bit here. Um, Houston, you will never, ever, ever be able to convince me that Houston has a, a better resume than Kansas. Are they a better team than Kansas? Yeah, maybe. Uh, I mean, they're 21 and three, they're obviously good, but uh, you know, their best win this season is Texas tech. Uh, Kansas has swept Texas tech. You know, there's a very direct, correlation there they have uh zero other ken palm oh excuse me one other ken palm top 50 win which is that buzzer beater uh victory they just had over memphis so um even if they win the the american tournament you will never ever be able to convince me that they have a better resume than kansas um and then you know you're looking at like your your west virginia and arkansas i mean i think you know west virginia probably in the same boat as kansas where if they make it to to Saturday night or, or win the big 12 tournament, they've got a very good chance of the two seed as well. Um, Arkansas, you know, decent little resume, I think as well, but I don't know. I just think Kansas is, is really in the running for that last two seed. And, and I think that they, all they have to do is, is win two games uh, in Kansas city to, to, uh, to nab that three seed. I mean, you know, remember, uh, um, you know, two years ago when they kind of sucked and uh, made it to, the big 12 championship game and everyone thought that they were screwed and then they ended up getting slotted to, to go to Kansas city if they would have won their first two games. So uh, I think the committee, you know, uh, maybe gives a little bit more respect to what Kansas can do than uh, some of these people here. So hopefully that carries over uh, into this year as well. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I definitely think that Kansas has one of the better resumes. I mean, if you look at what they have, they have, um, I mean, you know, that's like the best or one of the biggest cited statistics that I've seen all over the place is that Kansas doesn't have a loss outside of quad one. And they're one of like three teams that can actually say that, um, which immediately I think gives them kind of a bump up. I, I, I do think that their, their resume overall is probably better than West Virginia's at this point. Um, I do think there's a little bit of recency bias kind of going into this. Um, 
you know, I mean, if, if you look at West Virginia, um, like the only game that they have left at this point that they missed was their game against Baylor, um, you know, on the road against Baylor. And so like, if they had played that game, they probably would have lost that, which means they would have finished behind Kansas by a full game instead of a half a game. Um, and, and like, I mean, that would have given them another quad one loss. Like, like, I think at, I think at that point, Kansas would have jumped ahead of them quite convincingly, I think in, in pretty much everyone's, you know, metrics there. And, um, so really I like, I think, I think what we're looking at probably is, you know, a, an opportunity for Kansas, if they get to the big 12 title game, kind of like you said, to, to be fighting for a number two spot, but to at least solidify a three just by getting there. So, and, and that's really, I think the main thing that they need to worry about. I don't think they want to play any of the one seeds before, you know, the, the, the regional final. So, um, getting, just getting that three is going to be, I think, good enough to set them up for a really deep run. Um, but back, back to the actual big 12 tournament here. Um, like who do you, who do you think has the best opportunity to pull an upset depending on whatever that, you know, like whatever you want to actually define as an upset in this, in this tournament. Um, and, and who do you think is actually going to win the tournament this weekend? Yeah. Well, I, you know, tough to, to pick against Baylor at this point, obviously, I mean, they only have one loss in the, in conference play. I mean, they, they do have probably the tougher, well, I don't know. I mean, West Virginia played them pretty tough. Obviously Kansas beat them. So they played them pretty tough. Um, I, you know, I think you have to pick Baylor as far as upsets. Um, I, you know, is Oklahoma state doing stuff really in upsets with the way that they've been playing? I don't, yeah, I exactly. don't know. Um, you know, is, is them, I think they're, uh, what they they would play Baylor if they won their first round game, right? Correct. Uh, or so I mean I you know maybe that's uh, or no they would play. Well now I'm gonna have to just Google the bracket. Yes, Oklahoma State and West Virginia play in the four five game. They would play the winner of Baylor and whoever right. wins the okay, K State right. TCU game. That's right. So yeah, I mean would you know maybe they could make a little bit of a run to the final? Who knows? Um, I also. <laughs> You know, I kind of hate to say this, but I mean, Oklahoma uh, and Kansas have played two really close games. I mean, what's to say that Oklahoma doesn't uh, beat Iowa State? And then, because I'm not, you know, I'm not, I'm not where you're at at all on Iowa State winning. I mean, I, I agree that they're probably a little bit better than uh, their Ken Palm number would suggest, but uh, definitely not going to pick them. I don't think to win. Um, so I could, you know, see Oklahoma and Kansas having another a uh, really close game and, you know, maybe the, uh, you know, the luck of the three-pointer bounces Oklahoma's way again and, uh, and they win again. So those are probably the, the two teams that I would kind of uh, pick maybe to go for a, a little bit of upset, but mostly because there's no one else really to, you know, are you really going to pick like K-State or Iowa State to win a game or to win two games? You know, not, not me. So uh, yeah, like really, really I think kind of only two only... ways you can go. I think the only realistic opportunities there are for upsets would be Iowa state over Oklahoma. And that is legitimately only because it's, you know, Iowa state somehow just plays absolutely phenomenal inside of the sprint center um, or anywhere in Kansas city, to be honest. And so like, that's why I even, or I'm only, or that's the only reason I'm even willing to give them an opportunity, uh, you know, against an Oklahoma team that has been fading really, really bad down the stretch here. Um, So like if, if Oklahoma gets to turn around though, like the, you know, there's, so, so there's Iowa state potentially could upset Oklahoma. I would consider that to be an upset, and it's theoretically possible. Oklahoma over Kansas would be another upset that is at least theoretically possible. The only other game that, you know, we could potentially see that has any possibility of actually happening would be Texas Tech beating Kansas in the in the in the uh, the semifinals there. Um like if that were to happen, I think that would be considered an upset, although it would be like a mild upset. But those are really the I think the only three games that realistically could happen that would be considered an upset. Like Oklahoma State beating 
West Virginia, I don't think would be an upset if either West Virginia or Oklahoma State were to beat Baylor. Like it would be an upset, but the way that like Oklahoma State's been playing, it would almost be a foreseeable one that you could excuse by saying, you know, well, Baylor's already wrapped up a number one seed. They don't necessarily have a whole lot to play for in this, you know. So it's like it wouldn't be like a shock the world type of upset that that some of these other ones could potentially have been. And, you know, if, if Texas makes it to the game against Kansas, then, you know, if any of those two teams win the tournament, like that's not a huge upset. That's just them getting a good win against another good team. So, yeah, I don't think there's a lot of opportunities for upsets. I do think, though, like Baylor comes out of the top of the bracket, I think. And and if I'm putting money on it, I think that Kansas does come out of the bottom of the bracket. So we get a Baylor-Kansas rematch. Um, if if we end up getting that, though, I mean, do you think it's like a foregone conclusion that Baylor's going to win? Or like I, I'm actually on record as saying that I do think that Kansas is going to win the Big 12 tournament because I just I think that they've got the kind of defense that can shut down, you know, any of these other teams. The question always is, is their offense going to be able to do enough? But, you know, Kansas is the only team that's actually shown that they can shut down that Baylor offense, um, which I think gives them an opportunity to do it um, and kind of combine with everything else. I just, I, I just get a feeling, you know, especially since, you know, other than Missouri, Kansas and Iowa state are the only two teams to have actually won the big 12 tournament since way back in like 2004 when Oklahoma state did it. So it would be a, a really unusual thing, even though Baylor is the number one overall seed in, in the big 12 tournament, it'd be an unusual thing for a team like Baylor to win it just because for whatever reason, Kansas and Iowa state seem to win it every year. Yeah. I, you know, my thing is, uh, you know, I think probably Baylor um, because, you know, they're, they're pretty dependent on like their jump shooting and stuff like that. Uh, whereas, you know, Kansas, they got to play that, that tough, hard nosed defense possession in possession out. Can they really do that for three games in three days? Uh, I just think, you know, even if the, uh, you know, everything was equal, I think it would be tough for them to play that kind of intense defense uh, for three games, which really leaves them at a disadvantage over a, a team like a Baylor, which is obviously a lot more um, offensively inclined. So, yeah, I would I would probably pick Baylor, and then, um, you know, we'll see uh, about the, uh, you know, whether they make it or whether they uh, – or whether Baylor makes it, excuse me, I think uh, – the bottom half of the bracket to me is a, a little bit more wide open than the top half, even though, I mean, Oklahoma State's playing well and, and uh, you know, I'm not a, a huge uh, a, a huge West Virginia backer. I think they're a little bit overrated, but there's no doubt that they're a, a good team. So, uh, yeah. that, um, sorry, go ahead. No, no, I was just going to say, I, I think we're going to move on to, you know, the the topic that everybody wants to talk about and everyone wants to hear us talk about, right, which is that, the, the 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 situation I think is the best way to describe it with Les Miles and or Jeff Long. Um, obviously, for those that haven't been paying attention, Les Miles um, is caught up in kind of the fallout of an investigation that happened to things that he did while he was at LSU. It's finally coming to light now um, after it was concealed by both him and LSU for you know eight plus years. Um, Jeff Long placed Les Miles on administrative leave at this point. I think it's a foregone conclusion at this point that Les Miles is probably going to end up losing his job at Kansas, um, just given everything that's alleged in there, um, kind of the way that everything has been handled. I, I have a hard time imagining that Les Miles is actually going to go ahead and get his job back. So first of all, before I jump into the Jeff Long portion of the conversation, do you do you think that I'm off base there, or do you see like do you see any way that Les Miles actually retains his job at Kansas? Well, it, it certainly sounds like he's probably he's probably gone. So um, I'm I'm obviously not you know, an insider or plugged in or anything like that. I'm just, you know, basing off 
kind of what I'm reading on Twitter and, and kind of stuff like that. But it certainly seems like, you know, based on what's happened, he's, he's probably not going to be the coach this fall. Yeah. I mean, it's just, I think it's really hard to imagine everything that's going on there, all the negative PR that they're going to be, if they hold on to him at this point, like it's going to, it's going to cause a lot of problems. I also think that like the only real, you know, benefit that you are getting by having less miles and stuff right now, because it doesn't seem like they're actually making a lot of progress on the field. Um, is that they were, you know, really, really doing much, much better in recruiting. Um, you know, he had assembled a really good recruiting staff and obviously it helps to have a, you know, a national championship winning coach kind of closing the deal when you're doing the recruiting. But I think that there's going to be enough negative press from this. You know, they can use that negative recruiting against the university that I just don't know that you get enough benefit from having him on the staff now in recruiting to kind of outweigh all the additional attacks that they can make on them. Obviously like where they move on from here is going to, kind of depend on what the overall, I guess, evaluation of moving on from is going to be. Um, but ultimately, like, if, if, if you're looking at it in a vacuum, like, morally, I don't think there's any legitimate reason for you to say that he should stay at the university. And I just don't think that tactically there's going to be much of an advantage from keeping less miles at this point. So, you know, barring a you find out that there's absolutely no way you're not going to have to pay him every single penny of his contract, I don't think there's any argument to be made for keeping him. And honestly, even if you have to pay out that entire contract or that entire buyout, like I, I, it, it's a tough call for me to decide to keep him at that point. I, I could see why they would do it. If that's the main concern that they literally just can't afford to you know, fire him. But I also don't know that like that should be enough to keep him on staff, given everything that's kind of going on here. Yeah, you know, I, I suspect at that point they would come to some sort of a, a buyout. I mean, Les Miles is a thousand years old. I can't imagine he wants to, <laughs> you know, really wants to to do that uh, with, you know, yeah, you know, I, I have questions about how much he wants to do this, uh, even without everything that's going on. So, yeah, add in the off the field stuff. I mean, I, I can't imagine he's going to want to stick around. So I, I think he could probably buy him out and, and tell him to go enjoy retirement, that sort of thing. So I, I don't know that that would be uh the biggest hurdle and and uh you know i haven't digged into his contract or anything like that but um you know maybe you can you can fire him for cause too but uh i I think you know i just think he's gonna be he's gonna be gone here relatively quickly yeah honestly i think the more interesting conversation is what to do about jeff long because while jeff long's the one to put him on administrative leave um which you know was a necessary first step um you know it seems like you know, re- regardless of what you say about whether they're dragging their feet waiting to fire less miles or um, they're like allowing that administrative process to go through, it seems pretty clear to me that no matter what the actual details were surrounding what Jeff Long knew about this and kind of how it was going on, that it's a huge, really, really bad look for Jeff Long. You can easily argue, I think, that he was either negligent in his coaching search or just willfully disregarded the fact that, you know, something like this happened. So, um, you know, kind of the way that I've talked about this before um, and the way it kind of breaks down for me is that there's probably there's probably three different options for how this went down. Either Jeff Long, you know, couldn't find anything out because it was being hidden or, you know, people were legally not really allowed to to, to say anything about this. Um, but, you know, the 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 thing that kind of concerns me there is that it's not like this was like an unknown thing. Um, you know, this is something like there were rumblings going around LSU. Jeff Long at the time was at a rival, you know, SEC school was he was the the AD at Arkansas. And I can guarantee you that there were some sort of conversations, like some kind of whisperings about something going on. Like, yeah, you can you you can think, you know, a guy 
um, you know, and kind of think that maybe it's not that big of a deal. But if you hear rumblings about something, you at least have to dig into it to try to see what you can find out. And it doesn't appear that Jeff Long did any of that based off of what we, you know, heard about from like the, the miles to go stuff and the, you know, all of the, the depositions for David Beatty and stuff. Um, so either way, I think that that's like a, a negligence type of thing, potentially, if you're looking to fire him for cause, um, you know, option two is that, you know, he, he didn't even try to find out if there was anything going on here. And that, that, I mean, I think is even clear cut, even more clear cut case of, of negligence there. If he didn't do his due diligence in hiring the guy and didn't find this because the information was available, he just didn't look, then I think that that's an easy case for you to make that, you know, you can get rid of him for not doing his job. And then the final one is, you know, he knew about this, didn't either didn't think it was going to come out or didn't think it was going to be a big deal when it did come out. Um, and that is like willful, I think, disregard for, you know, fulfilling the duties that he actually has. So I think either case there, you know, in, in either of those three instances, there's an easy case, I think, to make that you can fire him for cause, in which case they don't necessarily have to worry about the buyout. But do, do you agree with that analysis there? Or, or do you think that, or, I mean, regardless, do you think they need to move on for Jeff Long? Obviously, based off of like what you've put out on Twitter and kind of discussions we've had, I think we all agree that we all want Jeff Long to move on. But do you think that this is kind of the kind of thing that means that they're going to have to move on from Jeff Long? Well, yeah, I'm, I'm going to come at this from from a, a little bit of a different angle here. Uh, it doesn't make any sense to me. Okay, so you you fire less miles because of you know stuff that happened uh, at a different school that you know either you knew about or, or didn't know about or, or whatever. But it doesn't make any sense to me to say, okay, you know, less you have to go because of what happened at that different school. But okay, guy who hired less, uh, either you know, like you said, not knowing about it or you know, knowing about it and not giving a rip. Uh, you can stay. I mean, that doesn't make any sense to me. So he's got to go for that reason alone, uh, just because of how how weird it would be. Uh, secondly, I mean, you know, like it or not, college sports is is a little bit more uh, interested in uh, pragmatism versus morality. And obviously, Jeff Long has that clause in his contract where, uh, you know, if, if NCAA violations happen or or you know they get put on probation, his contract gets extended. Um, well. An easy way to to get out in front of that uh, after the you know the NCAA stuff with with KU basketball comes out uh, is just to fire him now before that comes out. And uh, well, well, a, technically, a if they don't fire him with cause, then even if he is no longer employed, the contract would extend, so his buyout would actually increase if they get placed on probation after he's fired. So you can't like get well, out sure, of it but, by firing him now without cause. But if you fire him with cause, then the entire contract well, sure. becomes null and void. So yeah. Sure, exactly. So fire now with cause. Uh, let's go. And then, uh, yeah, I mean, the third reason is the guy just sucks as an athletic director. So why, you know, why even deal with this shit? Just get rid of him. He's yeah. terrible. You know, Agreed. I mean, there's there's got to be a hundred people who could do a better job than him as an athletic director. So uh, and and people who would be much cheaper. So uh, those three reasons to me are are pretty good reasons without even getting into the whole. Uh, you know, him and him and Les Miles are obviously running some sort of a joint, you know, we're going to bilk KU out of uh, a, a bunch of, uh, you know, bunch of money. I'm going to, you know, get hired here and then hire my buddy. So yeah, uh, exactly. Yeah. Just, All right. Just hey, get rid of them. Clean house. Let's go. Yep. All right. We got 30 seconds. What's, what's your random sports minute? Uh, you know what? I, I don't really have one. Uh, the, the Briar, the Canadian men's curling championship uh, is going on right now. We have to talk about the women's last week so uh we're we're in the midst of it the final is is this coming week so uh next week that will be my random sports minute so kind right. of a, kind of a primer this week yeah the only other thing i'll finish up with then is that i'm doing absolutely horrible in the jerome it looks like you're doing all right but we'll see how that goes and we'll give you guys an update next week so 
And that's going to do it for us tonight. Thank you guys so much for listening. If you haven't already, please do go out wherever you get your podcasts, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, any of the other million apps that are out there. Just search for Rock Chalk Podcast so you can subscribe to the podcast and get every episode as soon as it comes out. If you can leave us a rating and a review as well, five stars and nice comments would be absolutely great. But if you can't do that for whatever reason, just let us know what it is we can be doing better. We bring the podcast to you guys to get you all the information you need in as entertaining a way as possible. So if you ever have any comments, questions, suggestions, people who want to try to interview, anything like that, you can contact me by email at rockchalkpodcast@gmail.com or on twitter at rockchalkpod you can also get your voice on the show do that by going to anchor.fm slash rock chalk podcast slash message leave us a voicemail i promise we'll get it on the show for you but that's gonna do it for us tonight thanks again for listening guys and we will catch you next time on the rock chalk podcast Network.